You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. Is it that there was a point in your life or in your career Mm -hmm. as you were working with people or as you were discovering for yourself that you understood the value of to slow down, to feel the chase of the infinite that is (laughs) infinite really can sometimes be overwhelming, can be distressing, can put us into a place of going, oh crap, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And there seems to be a certain peace in you that I see right now where you're like, you know what? It's play and just have yeah. the fun and the joy of life. Yeah. How did that happen? It's good observation because it's a new thing for me. I think my entire life I've been productive and useful and creative and an entrepreneur. My first business, I was seven, you know, and then my mm. second one, I was eight and then nine because my family's entrepreneurs. So they're always pushing me like, well, you want to make money off of this? Let's make money off of this. <laughs> like, okay. And it's interesting. Like, I love that aspect of me, but I recognize that there was a part of it that came from a wound of I don't feel good enough unless I'm producing, unless I'm useful in the world, unless I'm living my purpose. And so I've really done a lot of work around that. And there's a wholeness that I've kind of settled into where it's, I don't have to do anything for anyone. I myself, as I am, perfectly enough, perfectly Mm -hmm. whole, perfectly complete. And I'm a creative being. So how do I want to play with that creativity? And so that's kind of softened a lot of my drive and go, go, go. It's interesting because thinking about it now at first, it was a little scary for me. Because I'm like, oh my God, where's my drive? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Where's that thing that has made me so successful and brought me to the top of my game in all these different industries? And the truth is it didn't go away, it just shifted. And so I think after becoming a mom too, my energy was so much more cherished because it's Mm -hmm. like I have this much space, this much time, this much energy. Where do I want to put it? And I had to be really discerning with that energy. So mm-hmm. it's good. There's nothing to prove anymore, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not trying to prove myself. I am living my life. And I'm just saying yes to life and aliveness. Mm-hmm. And I'm recognizing that aliveness doesn't come from productivity for me anymore. It comes from being present. Tell me a little bit more about, because in my mind, I'm doing the dance of saying, well, yes, there is enoughness to that. And there is this also desire. And I'm speaking from my or projecting Mm -hmm. from what my students have told me or understanding of what I have heard from my students is where they would go, yes, and I also desire all of these things. Yeah. Where do you find that balance of saying this is enough and some things don't feel enough? Mm. What do you things? see that the dance? Yeah, I was going to say, so what things specifically are you So if, if I have to kind of project into, and this is the dance that I do in my own life. Yeah. I, I call it the dance of enough and never enough. Uh-huh. Well, why I call it a dance is because in the moment, I must always feel enough. Because yeah. I, yes. I don't yes. feel good enough for anything. It's usually like I wouldn't be able to pursue anything anyways. Sure. Right? Or so, it would and be, be happy. Yeah, yeah, or I won't be happy and joyous and yes. be, you know, I, I yes. can't be if I don't feel good enough. 
And at any given point, I need a chase. And chase for me to feel alive, not even driven. I get it. To I feel get alive. That. I yeah. get that. So to me, that's always been a dance that I'm still trying to fully comprehend as to how does yeah. one find that balance in our life. But I feel like if I tip either of the sides too much, yeah. you can see it and feel in yeah. my energy. You can be like, oh, it doesn't feel present suddenly. Yeah. Or... As it feels like, you know, it feels like he's floating just, off. Yeah, yeah, floating off. And he's like <laughs> indifferent to what's happening around yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just so aloof that it's not attractive either. So, sure. or not desired either. Yeah. So, so I'm kind of playing that dance and yeah. I want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. So for me, it's alignment. So for me, I'm a creative being and I'm flooded constantly with ideas and passions and drives to want to make the world better, to understand people more, to serve, to support. And I always ask myself, what's in the highest alignment for me right now? I'm always doing something, but whatever I'm doing is in full alignment with what I value at this moment. So for me, that just makes life so much easier because when I picture it like I'm such a visual person. So when I'm in alignment, it's the channel of my body is fully open. So I'm like connected to source, connected to earth, grounded in both. And I'm just a, a channel. So it's like, I have so much energy. I have four kids. I don't sleep at night, but I have limitless energy for this stuff that I love to do. How? Because of this. If I'm out of alignment and trying to force something, it's like the energy from here and here has to do this little maze and I'm efforting, mm -hmm. right? So for me, it's where am I efforting in life and trying to prove or trying to like force something to happen and what just feels like a full fuck yes. Mm -hmm. And when it's a full fuck yes, it's so easy. It's hard work. Mm -hmm. But it's easy. Mm -hmm. You're willing to do the hard work. Yeah. Stay up late, yeah. get up early, work around the clock because I'm so committed to it and it feels so alive in my body. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean by aliveness and presence. Mm -hmm. I'm present to what is most alive in my body and I'm saying yes to that. Mm -hmm. And it does look like service. It does mm -hmm. look like my work. It does look like creating coaching programs and doing all this stuff because that's what I'm most connected to right now. Mm. Is there something that you've found as signals for you to go, oh, you know, this is the signal where this is going to be most aligned to me? Mm -hmm. Maybe you call it intuition. Maybe you call it something else. I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to go, what is it that you've found where you go, this will be a fuck yes or this mm -hmm. is a fuck yes? It's what a, is that signal that gives you that? That's a great question. I think before I would have said it's it's a thought of like, oh, this came in and it feels divinely inspired. But I'm tuning in more to my body and I'm recognizing I actually get a body sensation. Mm. Like I get a full body sensation and I've had a couple and I'm not like super woo woo, but I've had a couple people that read energy and they're like, when that happened, there was I saw something and I'm like, I can feel that like what you can mm. see, I can feel. So mm -hmm. I'm starting to lean into that. And it's a feeling like I literally get full body chills. My whole entire being drops into like this grounded centered place. And it's like, oh, okay. And so that's my listening now. It's like, I'm listening to my body for the yes. Mm, that's beautiful. And I think it's definitely attunement required to and connection to your body required for you to be able to sense it as it happens. Yes. And that I think is step one. It's just clearly you love dancing. So mm -hmm. I guess you're really in touch with your body anyways. Yeah. yeah. But is there something that you found where you... As you lean into it more and more, maybe motherhood was one of it. I have no yeah. idea. But it's like you leaned into more and more and you were like, oh, I can really sense it in like my physical being. Yeah. Well, it, somatic work for me was the game changer. What do you mean by somatic work? So somatic work, uh, soma is the body. 
Mm-hmm. And somatic work is tapping into the wisdom of the body. So, mm-hmm. you know, most people hear somatic and they think experiential where you're doing like these workshops, maybe. But really somatic coaching and somatic work is getting in touch with the sensations inside the body. Mm-hmm. Not like our five senses, that those are external, but our internal senses. Mm-hmm. And when we begin to create a relationship with this, we start to notice closures and openings. Mm-hmm. Closures can be from many things. It could be from traumas. It could be from narratives and stories. It could be from physical things that have happened to us. And the thing I love about somatics is the story doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's like it, what matters is you're closed. Mm-hmm. Let's open it. Mm-hmm. And so it's really working with that energy. Mm-hmm. And when I learned somatics, it was pre-baby, so at least six years ago, mm-hmm. it just changed everything because I was such a nerd and I love mm-hmm. like I'm an investigator and a researcher and I love this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This has like gotten me so much success in my life. And I was really disconnected from my body. And from like outside glance, you wouldn't think so because I danced and I did all this stuff and I felt free in my body, but I wasn't connected to it. It Mm -hmm. wasn't actually being a wisdom driver in my Mm -hmm. life. And so the practice, it's super simple. Mm -hmm. It's called centering. (laughs) And it's Mm -hmm. literally standing with your feet hip width apart, shoulders aligned, your body, your skeleton fully stacked on top of each other, your bones mm-hmm. holding you up, not your muscles, so you're not mm-hmm. efforting. And you're breathing into the center point of your body, of your animal. Mm-hmm. It's the point between your belly button and your pelvic bone. And mm-hmm. You just you put your hand there, you breathe into that area. And as you breathe, you're scanning your body, mm-hmm. you're relaxing your body, and you're bringing oxygen to your cells to wake them up, mm-hmm. to open them, to get them more alive. Then once you have a centering practice, and it takes time. Like it sounds so simple. You're like, okay, wait, it's breathing. Mm -hmm. That sounds really easy. Mm -hmm. But the more you practice, the more you realize you're off center all the time. Mm -hmm. And so somatics really comes from Aikido and martial arts where when you're in your center, you can do way more with way less work. Mm -hmm. Right. So we've seen those like martial artists that has someone coming to them with all this effort and they just. Yeah. Because they're centered Mm -hmm. and we're animals. And so when we are centered in our animal, in our beingness, we can do way more with way less work. And mm-hmm. so that practice alone, it's like such a simple practice, but that's been the mm-hmm. game changer for me because as I grow in my centering and my groundedness, I grow in my sensating and I can mm-hmm. sensate this body and this body's talking to us all the time. And I can take that wisdom and move in the world with more clarity and more purpose. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it also relates to the chi center. It's also the same yes. point. Yes. We teach in our hypnotherapy courses on how if you just focus your energy into that center, yes. you're almost unmovable That's as right. a person. Like if you just go, okay, you know what? You Somebody can push you and then you put your energy in that center. That's right. And it's harder to push you. Suddenly there's resistance just because your body is super centered. And you're aligned. And, aligned. and yeah. all your energy is that thing. It's like you're the channel. You're fully yeah. lit up. Yeah. And we teach a practice called Rondori, which comes from mm-hmm. martial arts. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It's you're grounded, you're in your center, and people are coming and attacking you from all sides. And mm-hmm. how do you hold yourself? How do you hold your body? How do you hold your awareness? How do you hold your listening and your peripheral listening? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a really powerful practice. Mm-hmm. I love that you guys Absolutely. teach that too. Yeah, so it's good. one of our programs. Yeah, so we good. teach a lot of programs. I know, you're like, <laughs> we have a lot of programs and a lot of certifications. <laughs> so we, we teach a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Many different <laughs> things. But anyways, so so that's beautiful. And I think that's very important for anybody that's listening or watching is to kind of go and see if their body is open yeah. internally. Yeah. When you say internally open, do you mean your I think I understand, but I just want to get more expanded sure. for anybody that's listening. Is 
it's not sensations you're talking about. You're body, talking about openness of the body overall. How would that feel like to somebody when their body would be open or closed? To be honest, most people, if they don't have a body practice, would have no idea because mm-hmm. they're so disconnected. That was me. Mm-hmm. That's all my clients I work with. They're like, I, I don't really notice anything. Mm-hmm. And it's a practice to even begin to notice what's mm-hmm. happening, to be able to language it, to put to words what you're experiencing. So it's really a practice. And I think working with somebody who's versed in somatics, who can support you with that. What I like to do when I first work with a client and we teach our coaches this is somatic diagnostic. So we're doing a full body scan and I can notice just based on how you're presenting in your body where there's closures. Mm -hmm. And so we can work with that. We can put narrative to it. We can figure out the story that might surround it if we want. Mm -hmm. We don't have to, which is really helpful for people who have gone through trauma or some heavier things. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you just work it. You work, there's different body work practices. There's different somatic exercises you can do. There's energetic bands in the body that really can create openings and closures around those. And we Mm -hmm. can work with all your bands up Mm -hmm. and down the entire body with different practices. Mm -hmm. And so somatics is one way of really tuning into the present and being able to do the dance of the enough and not enough, if I may call it that. As we continue to explore that, is there anything else where you find you leaning more into feeling enough in that moment? Is there any other practice that has brought that for you forward? Hmm. I mean, the thing. I mean, there's so many. I'm really wanting to presence where I'm at now because I feel like the dance of enoughness is like a never-ending dance. Yeah, <laughs> like if we're all honest with ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, <laughs> it's a dance yeah. that we just do our entire lives, you know, for human. So how I'm playing with that right now is through pleasure mm-hmm. and really leaning into how as a as a human society we've really taken pleasure out of the equation and it's we've replaced it with happiness and mm-hmm. happiness is it's an end mm-hmm. pleasure is the way mm-hmm. right happiness is like the destination but pleasure is the way it's the mm-hmm. journey and i think that- explain pleasure to me just because I, I don't understand technically what you mean by pleasure. yeah so most people would label pleasure as like sexual pleasure or sensual pleasure and it's like could be but pleasure is being in joy Mm. And being in the presence so much so that you can find the magic and the joy in that moment. So I can Mm -hmm. be in pleasure while doing the laundry. I can be in pleasure while drinking a glass of water. Mm -hmm. I can be in pleasure while walking past a flower and seeing this beautiful bloom that presented Mm -hmm. itself to me. Mm -hmm. I can be in pleasure with my partner, with Mm -hmm. my kids. So it's it's a way of being Mm -hmm. that most of us have just not even had any practice in because we've been Mm -hmm. so focused on the destination of happiness. Mm -hmm. And we've attached money to happiness. We've attached sex to happiness, power to happiness. Mm -hmm. And to me, really like shifting from happiness and results to journey Mm -hmm. of pleasure, I win every time. And Mm -hmm. I feel enough because my moment is so full and Mm -hmm. my experience of being human is so full. And when my experience of being human is so full, like I'm actually able to live this human experience with such wonder and magic. Mm -hmm. Of course I feel enough. I'm like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? Like my life is so fucking good, mm-hmm. you know? And that's how I feel most of the time. And I've had the hardest year of my life in terms of external challenges, mm-hmm. but I've been navigating it with so much pleasure. And it's like, oh yeah, I could do that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. The pathway of living in joy moment to moment is such a beautiful, beautiful way to live life. Like you call it pleasure, right? We call it the way to live joyously and yes. finding the joy in the moment instead yes. of associating yourself to a place to get to or a place to be at. 
What is it that you are observing to be upcoming changes in society? Oh, a lot. Great question. Because I love this question. We've been talking about it a lot. Number one, I think there's going to be a huge uprising in equanimity between couples. Mm -hmm. I think this is huge. Mm -hmm. I think we are at a breaking point right now where we've got our generation. I'll be 40 this year. So Mm -hmm. my generation of women, we grew up with moms that worked Mm -hmm. and they worked hard. They worked around the clock and they had, you know, this excitement to like do the man's job. And we were taught you can be anything. You can do anything. Like, yes, I was working at such a young age. Now we have a generation of men who weren't taught, hey, you can be nurturing. You can be loving. You can be a provider at home. You can be a housemaker, a homemaker. You can do all of this stuff. Men are always taught you can be anything, Mm -hmm. but they weren't taught the opposite of what we kind of inherently and naturally do as women, the nurturing. And so right now we have a huge generation of couples where the home, the business of home feels very unfair. And it's so funny. I'm, I'm coaching so many women and men on this in particular and navigating it myself where it's like, oh, wait a second. Not only am I CEO of the house and CEO of the kids and CEO of like running family life, but I'm also CEO of multiple companies and I'm also bringing home the bacon and doing, Mm -hmm. and so are you, but I'm going to need some help here. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a big conversation in just equality and what that looks like. And I think it's a great opportunity for us as human beings to become more full-bodied in our expressions Mm -hmm. because I think women kind of went the extreme of like, go, 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 hustle. And they're wanting to find a nicer balance now. Mm -hmm. And men have kind of always had that drive, but now their their partners are expecting more. So it's creating Mm -hmm. this resistance at home. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a, a beautiful opportunity and conversation, I think, that's beginning to spark. Yeah, I think that's also one of the reasons why divorces are so commonplace, why the first yes. marriage always breaks down yes. pretty much. The second marriage maybe has a chance. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's true for everyone, of course. I'm yeah. saying it's tr- it's very common. It's I'm in my uncommon. second marriage yeah. to my first husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did a, We did an unofficial divorce and yeah. burning down of our first marriage at temple at Burning Man. Oh, wow. Um, and it was powerful because yeah. I'm like, we need to like redo this. Because, yeah. you know, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you get into this thing and then it's yeah. like, all right, we've got some years under our belt. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Yeah. No, yeah. 100%. I'm glad you guys were able to do that because that's important. I am in my second marriage yeah. with the second person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the first one was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, all of that stuff. Didn't really understand what I was even signing up for, really. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the journey that, you know, all of us need to have in our own unique ways yeah. and unique pathways. At the same point in time, I think that's the reason why it's so commonplace is not only the role of women has have been evolving for the past probably four or five decades at this point. Yeah. The role of men have evolved, but the conversation hasn't. Boom. The role has evolved so much. And the conversation between partners or conversation in society at large. For that matter, sometimes I feel the conversation is going like two steps back yeah. of men trying to be like the men used to be. Instead is, of saying, there's no way. Like, there's yes. no point of return. There's no point to return. Yes. Like, it's like saying, we made progress. We now have great mics, but let's go shout in the room. Right. Or we have great TV, great cameras. Let's not use that. We, we should. use the one, like the old camcorder <laughs> that would break down in 10 minutes. It's nostalgia, um, though, because yeah. people want, they, there's a romance to how things used to be. And what I think we're not honest about is like, things... Like, I do hear a lot of men saying, I just wish it could go back to, like, women accepting their roles at the home and, like, 
loving that. And now they resent it. It's like, they don't. It's just, we want equal play, right? We want equal play. And there's this romanticized idea of like, things were great back then. But truthfully, I've been like, I've been talking to older women and I'm like, how was that for you? And they're like, oh my God, I was completely shut down. I was depressed. I felt like I had no purpose. I felt like nobody saw me. And it's like, so it wasn't that it was great and everything was perfect. It's just people weren't talking about it. Yeah, and they were not talking about it because there, nobody was empowered to talk about it. And exactly. it was all behind closed doors. And yes. I grew up in India and it was the case. Like I saw my mother all her life. She was a homemaker. Yeah. And all my life she talked about how she wanted to do something. Yes. And wow. she wouldn't do it. Wow. Even when, and my dad, at least in words, was empowering. I don't know what happened closed doors. Yeah. I have no, no right to talk that. in their lives. At least that. He would be like, yeah, go do it. You know, so like, great. let's go do that. Yeah. Whatever. You need to invest whatever in it. I, yeah. And we are not from a wealthy family, but he was yeah. still like, hey, if you want to go, you know, uh, you know, say, hey, I want to just run like a little food company from my house. Go run that. It's right. fine. We'll fund it. We'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But at the same point, she would never do it because I lived in a joint family. She never felt empowered. A joint family is where you live with your grandparents yes. and cousins and everyone. So we're like 23 people in the same yeah. house. So she just never felt she could. And yeah. I've seen that sadness in her yeah. until even now, even when she has no reason to believe that she can't do it. But now she's gone to a place where it's really hard to turn back from there and say, now I will start something. Right. Because for the first 55 years of her life, she didn't do anything. And now at 65, she's wondering she will never be able to do wow. anything. All right. So even yeah. in the last 10 years, while she's super empowered, both the kids are out. We're both doing very well for ourselves. Yeah. We're like, listen, you can burn this money. We don't yeah. care. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is for you. Do whatever with yeah. it. Do business, shop, buy another house, do whatever you want to do with yeah. it. This is for you. This is, you know, like we can't both be in the city with you all the time. Yeah. At least there are resources that you can use to, you know, do whatever you want to do, right? And yeah. of course, you're welcome to come to our houses anytime. Yeah. But she's in that place. And I think yeah. what at least what I am learning in this experience right now, because I'm going through the same experience. Like we got two beautiful kids. Yeah. My wife's in a book launch coming yeah. out next month, <laughs> yeah. which basically means I'm the <laughs> marketing manager sometimes, or the business manager sometimes. I'm the podcast guy. I am the studio guy yeah. Yeah. in the mornings and late in the evenings while my yeah. wife is doing this amazing work in the world. Yeah. And that does challenge me as a guy sometimes. Like, damn, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, how's that impacting me? And how can I play yeah. a role that yeah. makes also honors me, yeah. right? And I understand right now we're in the season, but I see myself questioning my own identity as a guy sometimes yes. because of my past, Your identity yeah, my identity of, of yes. what a man should be like. That's right. Without recognizing that, yes, that was what a man was. Right. And now it's not even about equal, but it's about equal opportunity, I think. That's right. Uh, it's because equals just like I see my kids relating to their mother very differently than how they relate to me. Yeah. So this is going to be different. no equal. Yeah. It's different. Like they just become yeah. this amazing souls who just want to <laughs> cuddle their mother and yeah. cry and become yeah. super emotional. Suddenly she appears yeah. and I'm like, that doesn't happen with me. Like they're <laughs> nightmares. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are literally nightmares breaking things and jumping on things when yeah. I'm around. And the moment yeah. you come in, it is so easy <laughs> yeah. because all they want is mom. Like they yeah. don't want to break anything. They don't want to yeah. do anything. Anything, they're just chilling with you. Yeah. So it's, it's a different role that we play. It is. And so it's this interesting thing of these subtle nuances of how mm. we see each other and the identity crisis. I love that you brought that up because imagine the identity crisis your wife goes through mm-hmm. after having a baby. Because mm-hmm. your wife is a go-getter. She's a type A personality. Hi, me yeah. too. <laughs> right? Like my first and my second birth and then my third birth, it was like, uh, it was a death and a rebirth each time. Because now I got to figure out how to be a mom to 
X amount of kids while doing all this and still being a partner and still being a woman in the world who's sovereign, who's not just a mom. And it's just an interesting dance. And I think as a society, we're starting to look honestly at it in the same way we're starting to look honestly at relationships, which is really exciting too. I think we're now starting to just talk more openly about the real stuff that happens behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a massive opportunity in that. Oh, 100%. Don't you think that people still resist the conversation of relationship a lot more than, say, a conversation around health, around money, around even a random topic like manifesting, I feel like gets more attention than relationship. (laughs) Because Uh, it's not a random topic, but what I'm saying, it's like, it's like really we're talking about that before relationships, which probably is the most equally or most important thing to health. It's the most. Right. Yeah, yeah. And we know that now. Yeah. Scientifically, we know that. Relationships yeah. are like the deciding factor of our health and longevity. Yeah. And most of us have so much shame around the fact that our relationship isn't perfect. Well, guess what? No one's is. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Most people aren't quick to talk about it. But I do see a spark where it's starting to happen more. I know I'm super excited to just speak candidly about that. I've been married for 10 years with my partner and like four kids later, four kids under four. We've navigated a lot and I'm excited to share that with people so that they get that they're not alone, you know? And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, I didn't have models. You know, my Mm -hmm. parents married and divorced multiple times. My grandparents were still together till my grandfather died. But I didn't really have models of people that stayed together. You either stayed together and like you weren't fully happy or you got divorced Mm -hmm. and you just kept looking. Mm -hmm. And... It wasn't until Preston and I met some older couples that have navigated some pretty challenging seasons where it landed for me that there's no shame around this. It's actually like something to be proud of. Mm -hmm. Like you're battle tested as a couple. You've been through Mm -hmm. some hard seasons and you still chose each other. Mm. That's awesome. Most people, like in my experience, again, my parents, they go through hard seasons. They're out. Bye. Mm -hmm. See you later. Mm -hmm. Can't do this anymore. I'm going to find somebody better or different. But anywhere we go, there we are. Right. And so it's been really interesting for me to open up in my world, in my community, in Preston's community. And we speak very candidly about it. And we have a huge following who have followed us from the beginning of our love affair to kids and all the things. And they expect us to be perfect because we're two conscious couples. And we're excited to break that narrative. It's like we're human. And here's what that can look like, yeah. you know, and here's how we can navigate it powerfully because what is the point of all this personal development work if you're just going to walk around pretending to be perfect? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so true. And if you are conscious, that's part of being conscious. Consciousness doesn't mean you're elevated. Consciousness means you're aware. Say that for the people in the back. Louder for the people yeah. in the back. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. Like, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people in like the conscious community that have misconstrued what it means to be conscious. They're like, I'm conscious, so I'm better than. I'm elevated. I've got it figured out. And the truth is, if you're conscious, you're just more aware of your humanness. Yeah. And And, we're honest about it. Yeah. (laughs) And then nothing better than being real about it. It allows you to be more of you and allows and gives permission to share more openly and more humanly. Yeah. So, so true. And I found that it's different levels. We tend to have a really global audience. We tend to have different cultures listening to this podcast as well. We're popular in different countries like Sweden and India and South Africa and, and many different parts of the world. And because of that, we hear very different narratives because I think the great thing about here in the U.S. and listening to the undertones here in the U.S. where you and I both are is that 
things tend to start here somehow. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, like, I don't know why. <laughs> like the like the conversation around relationships. Yeah. If US does a good job or people in the United States do a good job of communicating it, yeah. it becomes easier for the rest of the world for some reason to have a conversation about it. That's so and true. And that's so interesting yeah. that I don't think US understands that role though. They mm. just like are so... I feel like at least the people that I meet here is like they're so self-concerned um, mm. that they only think about, okay, how does that play a role for me? Yeah. Without realizing that anything that is done good or bad, like, and this is, this is just to speak to the Donald Trump effect. Like you yeah. can love or hate the guy, I don't care. Yeah. But once we started that trend here, not we started the trend, but it happened in US, let's say. And it say, became trendy. It became trendy <laughs> yes. globally. Yes. Like we saw leaders everywhere in the world popping and suddenly getting successful by yes. being yeah. um, unkind to other people yeah. and unaware of what they're saying yes. and the impact of what they're saying. Yeah. And I was like, so interesting. That's the most big like political change. You could go, holy shit, what's happening? And it was massive. Yeah. And it's the same for personal growth. You're so right. And what comes to mind for me is the term leadership. You know, I think leadership is buzzy and everyone's be like, oh, leadership. And I'm working on my leadership skills. But you're right. There's a like an innate leadership that comes from those of us in the West to say, how are we leading and living our lives? How are we showing up? Because it is global now with yeah. Instagram and social media. It's like we are a global community and it is important that we ask those questions because yeah. you don't know who's watching. You don't yeah. know who's listening. You don't know who's sharing with their community in Sweden or South Africa or, you know, same. Preston and our community is global. And we are very aware that we have a united front around the world of people starting to question, what is this human life about? And what's my place in it? And what role do I play? And so I love that you're bringing that to the surface. Yeah, because I think it's an important role that I don't know if everybody realizes that yeah, they are playing. They, they realize so we, we get so centered around our current immediate reality, we think that's the world. Yeah. And there is an inherent responsibility to anybody that is doing the work of coaching, training, educating, to be a little bit more aware of what they say mm. and what they do. Yeah. And how vulnerable they are willing to get. Yeah. Because it's not only going to transmute to what you can see, it transmutes to things that you don't see. Mm. And that also brings a lot more responsibility to all of us to say yes. things that we do think are wrong or yeah. are something that feel like is not in best service to humanity, even if they're not wrong, that right and wrong is subjective, but yeah. at least we feel they're not in service. Yeah. So I think that's a very important role. And, and thank you for playing that role. Thank, thank you for yeah, bringing I, relationships I'm, to the forefront. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. Like it's the thing that lights me up the most is just real conversations about life and love and parenthood and yeah. all of it. Yeah. yeah. What was, if there was a journey of the four kids, let's say kid one, kid two, kid three, kid four, how did you evolve? First kid, who's he's now four. I felt like I got off easy on that one. I had like the easiest pregnancy. <laughs> I did a home birth, which is great. You know, I had my own like facing death moment, but then we got right back on the road and we lived our life like nothing happened. You know, we were traveling. Kingston has been to like seven different countries. He had a full passport. Life didn't change much with our first. Then I got pregnant with twins. <laughs> and two at a time will change a whole lot. And I happened to give birth literally like four days before they announced a global pandemic. Oh, and so birth to twins, global pandemic. We can't leave our house. We're in Plyavist at the time, right. neighbors with you guys. And I'm like, okay. And I have a toddler, a two-year-old who wants mommy all the time. Okay. What, what's my life now? 
Like now we're definitely not traveling. Now we're not going anywhere. Like everything stopped. Are we all going to die? Like what's happening? You know, it's like the pandemic was a huge thing in the beginning. And so I think the twins, that evolution for me, it was a grounding and a, a humbling in a way that I didn't get with my first. Mm-hmm. It's just like, this is the reality of life. What does your family mean to you? How do you want to show up for them? And how do you want to lead them in this climate? And I just got really present to that because I had to be. I couldn't pour myself into my work like I used to because everything stopped. Um, So that was really cool. And then baby number four, who was a total surprise. It was just so interesting. It's like he came in energetically and lifted up the rug in our energetic house. and was like, we need to clean all this up for me to come in. Mm. And it was good but it was hard because that's when P and I really started to look at each other and go, do we want to do this? Like, do we Mm want to, because we could be really great co-parents. Like we could still work together. We're best friends. Like, do we want to do this thing? And so I was navigating postpartum with a newborn, two-year-old twins, which is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about a crazy house. And then a four-year-old. But then also navigating relationship and actually paying attention to the relationship in a way that I hadn't in so many years because we were just so busy and just in it and in survival and moving Mm -hmm. states and all the things. And so that identity shift, like right now, it's what I'm currently in. He's one. He just turned one. And the identity shift for me this year has been like, what's actually real for me? What's real for us? Who are we as a family? Like, what do I actually value? What do I want to teach my children through my leadership and how I lead in my relationship and how I receive in my relationship? And so it's been really beautiful. There's been a softening for me. And again, it's like a humility, but it's not even the right word. It's just like a coming apart so that what's always been there can actually shine through. It's like Mm -hmm. all the layers of personality and identity and ego that were kind of bolstered over the years. Mm -hmm got to die this year and it felt Mm -hmm. like a fucking crazy rebirth you know just like the craziest (laughs) death where i'm like "Ah!" but the rebirth is like it just feels so clean i feel like myself how does that journey of the death of ego looks like or feels like to you i mean it looks so different i've had many ego deaths over the years (laughs) (laughs) many through plant medicine ceremonies through breakups through all the things through career stuff traumas But this one in particular, it looked like a falling away of everything I knew to be my security, like my security blanket in the world, everything Mm -hmm. I could trust and depend on, just like I couldn't anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was like literally everything that was created from my personality up to that point, like crumbled. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to go, okay, well, now what? Now what? And Mm -hmm. thank God work was going well and all that, but it was like relational stuff. And again, if your relationship is crumbling, like, good luck feeling great (laughs) the rest of your life. And so it was just a a challenge because I really had to, like Preston and I, it's what we did at Burning Man at Temple. We talked about like, what are we actually ready to like fully let go of? Because we created these like patterns and these fields. We call it like our relationship field. We created this field that had a whole world of patterns in it. And it had a whole world of like how we related to one another and, you know, our resentments and just all these little things. And we had to let all that die. And it was hard because it challenged me to actually step up in ways that, in full honesty, I was waiting for him to step up. You know, it's like, you go first, Mm. (laughs) right? And now we're both like, because we were both playing the you go first game. And now we're both like, 
Oh, I have to go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm. And it just requires a deeper level of work a deeper level of commitment to truth, to love, to compassion, to forgiveness. And that's hard. It's hard. And it's easy to talk about, but in like your most intimate partnership, it can be really challenging. And so it's been beautiful because I feel like I'm becoming a better person and he's my mirror for that, which is so mm-hmm. great. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's, it's interesting, all this beautiful to hear journeys of rekindling a relationship because so many of us need to hear it. Yeah. So many of are into it uh, or in it, right? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and so many of us need to hear it yeah. just because we need to get into it. Yeah. Like we just coast in, right? And that yes. happens with so many relationships where we just start to settle and go, okay, it is what it is. And let's just, you know, yes. do what we got to do so we can get through one more day. And it's not important anymore. That's right. Which yeah. it was us. And it wasn't like, oh, it's not important anymore. It's just we were so busy, like with work, like all of our businesses took off at the same time. All of our real estate took off at the same time. We're moving state. We're building houses. We're buying new houses. Like it was just so much so fast. Four kids under four. It was so much so fast that we were both like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said like Cash, our last baby, it's like all the stuff we swept under that rug. He's like, Mm -hmm. y'all better look at this because I'm a big energy and I need some room. Mm -hmm. And it was so good and also so hard. But the greatest thing is, is I feel closer to my husband now than ever. Like even from before, like the romance, you know, honeymoon stage, that's like this compared to where we're at. And it's because we're both showing up with such a deep level of honesty with who we are. And there's like, we both really have deep patterns of people pleasing and like wanting to do for the other person. And we're not playing that game anymore. And it's really awesome because Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, there you are. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just getting to know him in a totally different way. And he's getting to know me in that way. It's made our sex life phenomenally better. Like, you know, after four kids and 10 years in, it's the best it's ever been. I mean, this is what is available for people. You know, it's so good. Yeah, Yeah. I still hear you. And and I feel this is also another thing I want to kind of like pinpoint that you just said, is these difficult conversations are an act of love. And yes. they and they yes. strengthen your bond yes. so much more than if you didn't have the conversation. It may feel difficult in the moment. Yes. It may feel, you know, icky. You don't want to avoid it. You you know, you don't want to have the other person be hurt or be hurt yourself or whatever the thing is, whatever the story we tell ourselves. Yeah. But if we lean into it, we will find that while it sounds like conflict is actually the greatest act of love because you will do it yes. from a place of saying, I want to heal this. I want to make this better. I want to find a path forward. Mm. It's not the fight. It's the fight for love in a way. Fight for. Yeah. Such a big distinction. Yeah. And it goes back to that that first thing I was talking about, about the energy, right? When we're not speaking the things that are alive in us, even if it's something like, hey, a complaint or I want to be closer or whatever it might be, We have these kinks in our energetic hose. And of course, we're not going to feel as alive. Of course, we're not going to feel as connected. Of course, we're going to feel disengaged because we are. We're we're that with ourselves because we're not being honest with ourselves. But when we're in alignment and just a yes to whatever is honest and real and raw for us in that moment, and we do it in a way with responsibility and love, so much energy is available, which changes everything. It changes how you relate to one another changes your intimacy levels, your connection, your sex, like everything gets better because there's no kinks. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in the way of who you are, your fullness, your expression. So big. 
It's so true. Yeah. Um, Alexi, thank you so much for taking the time out yeah. today. So what is it that you would love our audience to leave with? Is there a note, a way they can follow your work and engage with you? Yeah. So I just want to remind people that you are one decision away from your entire life being different. I fully believe that. And it doesn't have to be a big decision. It can be an internal shift where you're just like, I'm going to choose to do life a little differently and everything can change. Nothing has to change for everything to change. It's so huge. Follow me online at Alexi Panos, Elementum Coaching Institute, my podcast Unleashed. I'm all over the interwebs. Find me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. We'll hook it up all below as show notes for this podcast. Thank you so much again for taking the time. It was yeah. a wonderful conversation. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh, oh.